Hi there, this is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the Consultants Consultant. I work with data science teams, helping them work even smarter, faster and nicer. If you're brilliant and you want to be even better, this is the podcast for you. My guest today is Inga Bentrot and um, he and I met improvising years ago and we're just talking about improv. Talk to talk. So, you, are you one of those kinds of, kinds of lecturers who um, strides around the podium, Inga? Well, one of the, I remember when we take, yeah. initially taking the classes and then doing some of the improv on stage. Um, I usually I'm semi <laughs> semi solid. Uh, what do you say? Semi not rigid, but uh, I'm just going to move this so when yep. you bang the table, it oh, won't go bang oh, bang sorry. bang. Oh no, it's all right. Uh, so I usually like I. I will kind of stay within a couple meters of the podium, but walk around. But one of the things we learned in improv, at least I remember learning, was if you're really just stuck. So let's say a student asks a question, you have 450 eyes, look, you know, pairs of eyes looking at you. If you move, so sometimes I'll, I remember I'll think about it, but I'll also like walk well, a yeah. few meters. And for some reason, you get the juices flowing. The kinesthetics. Yeah, there's something in the kinesthetics. And actually, you know what? I, I, I keep... I forget where I read, I mean, I know I read this article in the Scientific American, but there actually is scientific veracity. There is mm. evidence that somehow using your lower brain, the mechanic and the upper brain, if you get the juices flowing at the same time, actually does. Yeah, it frees you up. It, it, it's really true. So I know I before it's anecdotal. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, anecdotal has been actually it has been proved MRI. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah, I think, yeah, maybe they would have been using like an fMRI, but yeah, but you walk around. So some of the improv techniques, I just remember when you're stuck, because sometimes you get an offer, and technically a question from students yeah. is an offer. Yeah, yeah. And you have to, you can't be like, no, <laughs> you have to be, yeah, so that's even when they're interesting question. <laughs> Thank you. That's exactly what it is. So it's it's always a, a form of yes and. Yeah, yeah. So even if my student something is totally out of left field, well, you don't have that here. You have cricket pitches. Oh, we know. But uh, so if it comes out of left field, we probably don't know where it comes from. And, and, and let's say let's say they're they're basically wrong and their interpretation completely off, hundred degrees, hundred eighty degrees off. You want to like yes and steer them back. Mm-hmm. So I think little things from improv like that are really they yeah, really yeah. come in handy over the years. Yeah, you get a yes and yeah. never a no but. Uh, always, you know, you're always upstate, you know, you never turn your back to the audience, all these little... Which, of course, when you're lecturing, when you're actually working with a group of 400, you have to keep these things in mind. It it really does help. And, I mean, we joke about edutainment. Yes. I'm sure you've heard that. But um, I use the term all the time. But I I, I don't, I mean, that has the, there's a pejorative sense of that, but I mean, in a good way that... You know, if you're a good lecture, is a good show, yes. and then you go, and they walk away. Hopefully, after an hour and a half, learning something they didn't know before. Mm. So it is, but if it's not entertaining, you're not going to pay attention. As an educator, what's the story with telephones? What do you? What? How? How do you? deal with the fact that people are tuning out and tuning into their computer and their telephones all the time. How do you deal with it? I mean, it, it, it's pervasive. So really, yeah. it's more. You can't come down hardcore on it, but it's just more dealing with it. So I'm usually like, look, so long as you're not detracting from the lecture, so long as you're so not interrupting. <laughs> well, and I had one, and I, I even the other thing is the students were watching me. This this student got a call uh, already, mm-hmm. but they were in the front row and they picked it up and started speaking in front of while I'm yeah. lecturing. 
There, I kind of draw the line. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there, exactly. come on, that's a bit. If you want a phone call, you take it as. Or either, either you say, "Oops," but to be fair, that was once in the past two years. Yeah. Most of them, like, "Oops, sorry," and turn it off, and and that's okay. So I usually try to, you just try to keep it to a minimum. Like, hey, if you're gonna do this, just keep it on silent. Mm. And, and if you need, if you really do need to take a phone call, just go outside and mm. come back in. The lecture yeah. will keep going. It's okay. But you really, it's, I mean, I would say like 80% of people, students, but people in general, second screeners, yeah. you know, you're looking at your, you're working on your laptop and then you got married at first sight playing on the background on the I TV. It's weird. That's that much, I think it's something like 80, 90, or some crazy percentage. It's a crazy thing. And, yeah. and the, so are you seeing a decline in attention as a result? Like, so this, the, the research would say that multitasking in that way is actually degenerating our ability to focus. Are you seeing that or? Um, yeah, and, I, and, and, and the thing to be fair to the students, I think even with lecture, we got so much, you know, my phone and this and this, it's just everybody, I think. Everybody yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's, it's not, is, is, uh, it's not the, an age-related thing. Yeah, yeah, the focus. No, no, for sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, the, the other thing too, I know people like you know they like to criticize millennials and stuff like that. But to be fair, they're just as intelligent as any other generation. Oh, absolutely, and it's just more the focus issues. Yeah. So in terms of innate ability, they're no different than any no. other generation. They're just as smart. Yeah. It's just more. The context like, has changed. It's just more that. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, so. What do I do to try to you know? So if you do have an entertaining, what we're talking about initially. You know, you don't want to make it the lecture a joke where they're yeah. just laughing and it's a comedy show. Then they think you're kind of a joke. Yeah. You don't want, but then again, you don't want to be too, too serious. Yes. So there is a nice yeah, kind of line, yeah. middle way balance where you want it. So I kind of have a strategy like, I, who was it? Some comedian saying the, the theory of threes. Oh, so yes. I, I kind of do this with slides, like content, content, then something kind of humorous. Yeah. Content, content. So as soon as they're kind of starting to get bored, ah, this is interesting, this yeah. is funny. Oh, they're trying to get, so it's every third slide I try to yeah. have something to, to- To break the pattern. Where they're like, oh, ha, ha, I'm glad I paid attention to that. Yeah. And then since they paid attention to that, they'll hang on for two more content Yeah, slides. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so far that's been, and once again, this is anecdotal. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm just saying I've noticed. You haven't done research around this. Yeah. Um, control it's partly about gripping their attention for long enough to get a point made, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. but like I say, I know other people, you don't want to make, like I say, you don't want to make it ha 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 every time then they're not, they're laughing and they're not actually writing down or absorbing yes, exactly. the pertinent content. It's a tricky one, but I think, I mean, how's this? I think all of us, you know, the we're probably in the best possible given yeah. this, given the, the constraints with the phones and the laptops and everybody on Facebook and all that. We're doing we're doing okay. the best we can. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> exactly. you don't want to be an ogre and uh, the, to no, to I'll try that. that doesn't work. <laughs> no, and then you actually get rebellion because then it's yeah. just then people like sneak when, your look. And then it was more like when we were at least in elementary school, primary school, where it was the kids against the teacher. Yeah. And you really don't want that situation. No. So it's more like, hey, I'm the lead, you know, I'm giving you this info and yeah. and the, the students are on your side. Yeah. So you, you want to, yeah, you really don't want to do that because then they'll they'll gang up against you. And yeah, yeah. It, it, we've had lectures where this didn't go well <laughs> when they tried this draconian approach. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, it's, 
It's a that's a modern question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So in terms of working smarter, obviously improv was something that you you. Why did you go to improv? What was it that took you there in the first place? Well, I always liked comedy, and I always liked making jokes and cracks. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was an undergrad, I wrote for the student paper and some just mm-hmm. kind of funny, just but serious intermixed with kind of yeah. serious topics intermixed with like kind of funny quips. And so, but now improv was. No, I just thought I'd try it. I saw friends yeah. do it, and just right. and it was more to get you out of your more into your out of your comfort zone yeah. thinking. But I've always wondered if more stand up would be more because really lecturing is more like a stand up. Yeah, look, I've done a bit of both. I've, I've always both. I've always think I've always thought I wanted to maybe explore. Oh, you've done both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did some stand up um, courses. I've never. I've, I mean, I've just done one or two mm. stand up giggy things, but. It's not for me because it's not about people. It's it's actually quite cutthroat, cutthroat and co- competitive in my experience. Oh, really? Okay. Um, so you have your thing and you fight like hell to get the top spot in open mind. Oh, uh, I see what you're saying. You do your five minutes. You, yeah, other yeah, people. Yeah. You know, so if you get a spot, Ingo, that means I didn't get your spot. It's a very... Uh, whereas improv is kind of like, let's all play together. Improv uh, audiences are much kinder as well. So improv audiences don't want you to fail. Comedian audiences, they're waiting for you to fail, and that's what hecklers are about. I want to show you how I'm smarter than you are. Uh, yeah, in, in my experience, right. having spoken to a number of people who don't. So, but that said, it's for me, it's any way you develop your mind is a good way to develop mm-hmm. your mind. Um, but yeah, improv for me, same, same deal. Basically, a friend said you will have the best time, and I did. Well, maybe the improv. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Because really, in terms of what I've been doing since I've been 18, it's mm-hmm. more like serious points, but then to throw a joke in. So I think with yeah. improv, you have a serious scene like you're, you know, Some on a boat in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, yeah. and, you know, hey, captain, put the sail, yard. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah so, that stuff. So you actually kind of, a, not serious, but a historic situation yeah. and you make it humorous. Yes. So maybe you're right, maybe, I never thought about it. There's so when I watched the, uh, the people recounting stories on, uh, with the standards, but you're right. I, I, yeah, the zero sum game where if I get a ten minute set, that means you only get a five minute set. Yeah, exactly. And, and I've heard seems maybe, to be the yeah. Yeah, I've listened to some podcasts by stand ups and they said yeah, they they, they said that if people steal your jokes too, if you're a smaller yeah. if you're a low time comedian, they may see it. They, Whereas an improv are like, Did I steal your joke? Don't worry. Yeah. yeah. Here no, it's I, back. <laughs> I, I've heard that actually. I've heard some there is some cutthroat where people actually will uh, like yeah. you say from a five, somebody who's the five minute set and then the headliner and what are you going to do? It's the yeah, headliner. Exactly. You're nobody. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I've heard about jokes. And it's, it's, there's a whole heap. Of, I mean, there's enough status in improv in the improv world, but even more mm. when it's you know in front of the audience. So, oh, well, you just so, talked yeah. me out of it. Thank you. Well, but no, I was just wondering. Come back to improv. Yeah, but the, we were talking about that earlier. But the scene, it's just. Uh, I think with everybody, everybody moving on. So it's just. Uh, but also with the age, this is interesting. I mean, we could mm-hmm. breach this subject. Do you? <laughs> Do you think the age being that we're the over 40 set would Well, you know what? The over 40s are a special interest group. And um, so this, there's a Del Close Marathon, is a, you probably know about it. It's in New York every year. Mm-hmm. And it's in memory of Del Close who founded Long Form in right. Chicago. Um, and it's like a three or four day marathon. And there are special interest groups who, if you've got a member of your troop who yeah. in those special interest groups, you get preference for getting into the competition. Okay. And those are LGBTIQ, okay. over 40, 
or disabilities. So I'm being over 40 is a disability in improv. <laughs> okay. um, but that said, there's a there's a group of people, I mean, I find them and bring them together. When I, when I ran my show, part yeah. of my criteria was you had to be over 30 to be, even be in the show um, because I wanted people who had some experience because mm. while there's a huge number of people in improv who were young, 18 to 25 kind yeah. of thing, they don't have a depth of experience to run to do a scene, for example, mm. at a funeral because they've never been to one. They don't have a depth of experience to do a relationship between people who... I remember being in a show one night. I was there with a man who's now my ex-husband, but he was my my husband at the time. We'd been married 22 years. So the scene starts with, you know, two teenagers meeting each other and then they're married. Then it's fast forward to 20 years. And um, the people, they came on kind of... Hunched over on right, Zimmer right, frames. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, my God, you were 20 before and now you're 40 and you've been married 20 years? And you and I was like, turned to James and just went, that's um, that's what they think we're like. Oh, like, at 40, yeah, they think we're yeah, like. Yeah, exactly, we're walking frames and yeah. it's like, because they just don't, so, you know. Oh, I see. You put a 40 year old in that scene, they already know what it's, they, they're likely to know what it's like to be in a 20 year marriage. Well, that's, um, well they're, my son's five and he, he's like a, your daddy's old, he's 30. You yeah, know, so exactly. You, you have no concept here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so anyway, but yeah, so improv, the thing I love about improv and it consistently teaches me um, is to be vulnerable, it teaches me to be resilient, it teaches me, you know, there's all the stagecraft things mm-hmm. which we've spoken about. But there's also, um, yeah, it's the resilience, the that, that bond, try something else rather than, um, yeah, something's I'm working. broken now. I'll never start again. So, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. I want to go back to the teaching. It's interesting because, yeah, if I'm trying to explain something to the student, I can see the look on their face is just like, what? Then it's like, okay, let's step back. Let's, let's try to yeah, attack yeah. and try to come at it from a different... Yeah, for some people, just even the audience focus of improv, you know, what's the audience, how they respond How they respond, yeah, 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 People yeah. learn that from improv. I remember, yeah, some scenes back in the... The bar at the corner of Crystal Street and oh yeah, the Clarence Hotel. Yeah, yeah. And I remember there was one thing. It was actually quite packed, and you could see that the audience was like, yeah, yeah. And so I just at first I'm thinking, oh, I should switch over, get off stage, yeah, yeah. and have somebody else come up. But I was just yeah, yeah. You were just hitting it like a pinball machine, yeah. and so I just realized you had to stay. You had to stay. Let the audience be happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone, yeah, someone yeah. will bring it down when it's when it's time. I just to remember that because it was just boom, 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 and the audience just going crazy. It's so, like okay, well, I'm gonna stay here and give them a little. Yeah, more. exactly. I'll give it what they want. Boom, boom. Versus yeah. like, but then also when you're flailing, you know to yeah. step yeah. off. If nothing's let, happening, let do something them. different. Yeah, let's oh, get off. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. and, and it's that. So yeah. So talk to me about in terms of professionalism. Is there any uh, anything else you do for working smarter, faster, or nicer? What is, what's your kind of? Um, how do you keep yourself sane? And well, um, yeah. Right now, I just got the student marks from the summer exam, so it's uh, the uh, the appeals Ooh. process. That's not a. Yeah, that's, that's not, not smart, fast, or nice. That's not smart. Yeah, sometimes yeah, and in life, there just sometimes is grunt work that you just. You just do. Do. And so I've, that's really the work because trying to get to the fun stuff you enjoy. And, and the sad part is, you know, I think as we're getting more technological, uh, sophisticated, I've just noticed that the more the fun stuff really is the admin tick, 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 compliance, tick, mm-hmm. tick, tick. It's just seems to be going up. So what is working? So to me, working smarter. So I, I've talked to some people and, you know, what do they do? And so, 
uh, obviously I can't mention names because exactly. they're different universities, but they here in Sydney and it's like, they would only do X amount of admin per day. Like once they hit like two hours. It's like, my brain is now full. I will do the rest. Well, of that was it. No, they actually literally had a timer and I've used this. I, I use this thing called the Pomodoro. Oh yeah, the Pomodoro well. technique. We the love house. the Pomodoro technique. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a great one. It's of all the ones I, I even tell my students, this is the only one I've tried and it really works, but it, it's similar to that where what well, is the Pomodoro? I'll set four Pomodoros yeah. for 25 minutes. Yeah. That's like ding, ding, ding. When the fourth one is up, admin is done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you'll just go insane. So that's one thing. Now, the other thing, too, and I'm sure you, you, everybody's probably heard about, is that your first couple hours of the day are your most, and it kind of sets the stage. Well, it depends. Have you read Dan Pink's When? So Dan Pink published a book last year called When the Science of Timing. Uh, he talks about, depending on who you are, most people, it's the first couple of hours Right. Of For me, three o'clock in the afternoon is my is Oh, my when you hit strong. Oh, when oh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. No, no, no. What I was talking about more like in terms of setting the tone for the day, but I agree with Oh, setting the tone for the day. Sorry. I'm... So I kind of hit stride sometimes at 8, 9. Sometimes it could be 9, 10 o'clock. Really? And, and sometimes it could be 1, 2. I know what you're yeah. saying. When I hit stride, when I'm, yeah, when yeah, I'm in yeah, that exactly. zone. Yeah, yeah, In the zone, yeah, yeah. But in terms of like getting up and just quiet in the house and just working on something yeah. for two hours, I feel like those two hours would get like four hours if I yeah. was at the office. Yeah. So I think it's just the first two hours of the day, just get up and do something. Something, and you, and you tend to actually do the cool work. And then even though you get caught up, let's say on the admin stuff, which you want to pull your That's hair out, yeah, yeah. but since you're in the early morning, let's say 8 a.m., you were doing some cool stuff, by the time one o'clock kicks around, now we're you, you're, and you already kind of, you kind of have it, it's like, it's on your time. It's like your, your appetite was set at 8 a.m. Yeah. So I just find if I don't do something cool when I yeah. wake up, uh, I won't miss it later. But if you go straight to admin stuff when you wake up, that's I used to try that. Oh, I'll get it out of the way. But you realize that you clear out 10 emails, you check your emails an hour later, there's 20 new ones. Yeah. It it'll never end. It'll never, never end. Yeah, yeah. So since so yeah. yeah, so now I'm going to try the, the cool stuff. So it's First, kind of, you're talking about essentially about kind of priming yourself, but also doing the most important thing or the most interesting thing. But it's more, yeah, yeah, more stuff that you like to do, you know, that develops you as an individual. Yeah, yeah. That you're, you know, it's kind of what you're interested in, but also, yeah. Now, I'm going to go off off script. None of these, these questions are not. We've been improvising the whole thing. No, no, I understand. Oh, no, podcast listeners, we're making it up. Um, a, Yes, I know. Where, are yeah. Where are you from? Yeah, that rubber where are you from? Yeah, they're rubber away. And that's a guy. You don't need that cigar. Um, where are you from originally? Where's your Thanks. accent from? San Diego, California. Oh, San Diego. Okay, cool. Yeah, I just so. haven't, I don't think I'd ever known. Oh, no, 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 from California. You'd be from anywhere. Well, yeah, actually, the Southern, you know, there's a story behind it with the Southern yeah, California yeah. accent. Because most people, non, you know, Americans see with American TV in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Well, where does that come from? Southern so, California, Hollywood, Southern yeah. California. So it's really funny that the the not the ubiquitous, but the the the, the prototype, you know, the yeah. stereotypical U, yeah, U.S. Yeah. accent is in fact Southern California. <laughs> so I think a lot of people, yeah. So mine. So, generic, so yes. since I grew up yeah. in Southern California, it would be what the whole world that accent. But if you yeah. get to the Midwest or northeast or the south you get different oh yeah totally yeah yeah, yeah. and we kind of know them but yeah unless you're an actor who's studying the accents you're not necessarily going to know yeah, yeah so this is why because i was thinking about why does everybody get yeah, it's great because of tv and then there's actually once again a study about this it was because of hollywood and uh t, you know movies and you know tv it's that's why the southern california accent 
is is the generic is the generic thing. and some of the chains there was did you, some of also the things I grew up with which I think are normal like for there was that movie uh, the Austin Powers oh yes and he said I want my baby back baby back ribs mm-hmm. and that was from Chili's which is a Southern California chain you're right so I was laughing but I was when I saw the movie here and I'm like because people they wouldn't even get that they wouldn't huh? get that because and they wouldn't even get that if you're from Ohio necessarily no, because no, no, it exactly. was it was a very Southern California jokes. Yeah. So yeah, when I watch movies here, I get you know maybe get a little bit more of them. Huh. But yeah, cool. that's that's where I grew up and transplanted here and been a uh, dual citizen in both countries. And... Do you go home often? Yeah, probably. Would you still call it home? Well, I mean, this is where we get a little serious now um, because of the, you know parents getting older. It used to be every once a year, once every half year. Now probably once every three months. Right. I try to. Yeah. And they're still in San Diego? One of the two is still good kicking, yeah. So but yeah, so it's just as you know, we're getting older, they're getting older. So Yeah, it's a big it's a big thing. So yeah, I'm just trying to increase the frequency. So yeah, I think I'm gonna have to go on one once every three months now. Yeah. So it's tricky. Just to organise that. The fifteen hours. Well just to see it, I mean, because you know, you never know. You know, exactly, mm. exactly. I mean dad when he yeah, he that was out of the blue. Mm. Just like he was surfing and skiing one day and stage four the next and shit. No, I, that's what I'm saying. So yeah, I, yeah. but thankfully I realized he was getting older, so I was already every six months. Yeah, yeah. But you know, but yeah, so that's what I was having seen that like, oh, this can yeah. repair shape really quick. Mm. You know, when you hit your eighties. And how old is your son now? He's five. Yeah. Five, all right, okay. Just yeah. started kindergarten. Yeah. Do you take him with you when you go? Uh, I did in July, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure about Well, it's summer, you gotta Oh, he loved it. No, it was like he went to Mom Lives by the Legoland USA just down the street. Uh, so I've not was, been there, but be, I'd love to. He was having there. a blast. He was having, you know, this, you know, it took him everywhere. And yeah, yeah. Was, no, you know, he had a blast. You're right in July. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just, it's like Christmas, but not Christmas. Christmas for Australians, July. True, that was, yeah, for us. <laughs> and December, vice versa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's crazy. Um, so talk to me about, because uh, I'm not, you you teach data people to a certain extent. Well, I, I mean, I teach introductory business statistics and mm-hmm. introductory mm-hmm. marketing, but professionally, you know, as a data science. Well, yeah. we call it data mining. Back yeah, data mining, back yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, that's what I had that. someone last week said to me, what's a data scientist? I'm like, well, do you know what a data analyst is? Yes. Do you know what data mining is? Yes. Well, that's what data science is. Yeah, it's just a re- But just to simplify it for the people who don't know. Um, so talk to me about what makes a better data person in your in your experience, what makes a better or worse data person? Well, I, I mean, I do this and I do some, you know, sometimes with consulting with clients that uh, one of the big things that's a lot of us oldies mm-hmm. <laughs> are fine. It's kind of sad when old men, uh, but uh, are fine. <laughs> Mortality well, is, is high on the agenda today. Yeah, Mortality yeah. and fun. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, the what we're finding is that there's a lot of young people coming out that are red hot in terms of programming and you know doing these high end algorithms that are quite sophisticated. But what we're finding is they don't really know what's underneath how the data, like they really don't have a fundamental understanding of what, what is data, what, what we're calling now. So friends of I were working on some stuff for about data literacy. Right, yeah. Like really, and then the one thing in marketing we always stress is 
How was the data collected? When I ask a question on a survey, how was the question? If you see, if you get a data set mm-hmm. and it says gender in one column, well, is that gender at birth, gender identification? What does that, yeah. you don't know, you just see the, the, the word gender yeah. in a column. And one and zero. And one what and choices did they have? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, exactly. All this stuff, like how, and then even like, are you speaking? Let's do the keep with the macabre. Like, mm-hmm. are you scared of dying, or I have a fear of death? Is that Those are two is different it, things? Is exactly. that two different? Is yeah, it the yeah. same? Can we consolidate those into one question? All these little this were the psychology of like how was the question asked? Mm-hmm. How did the, was there a bias in the response? So long and short is if let's say you're super duper Harvard trained data scientist yeah. and you're doing the best modeling in Python and R that, you know, possible. Uh, but if you are modeling on crappy data, you just have a great model of crappy data. Of, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like you didn't ask the right question, a beautiful house on a poor foundation Yeah. versus a, you know, a, an adequate house on a wonderful foundation. And, and that's what I'm saying. When I'm, when I'm in my travels, I'm really finding this more and more with the, the newer people coming out under theory. So they kind of trust that the data is going to be good rather than investigating. Or they just make assumptions about make it. Assumptions. I mean, which is, yeah. in, you know, what's the term? Assume makes an ass out of you and me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so Absolutely. they just assume, oh, gender one, two, oh, you know, male one, two, you know. I mean, yeah. you don't, but you don't know what was the question on the survey yeah. element or, mm. you know, in the, in the bank. You know, some of the, the databases where this customer number, you know, one of the things too, this is a simple one for anyone before the year 2000, they had a, the data was kept in a, what's called a multi-value field. So you customer number one, two, three, four, and they might have, actually it was technically in a multi-value database. That was one line of data. Your, that's your customer ID and the, and the 30 things you bought. Mm-hmm. But when you, you export that data to be analyzed, we call it, you flatten the data and then you actually get 20 records with the same Customer number. Customer number. Yeah. So then they say, oh, did the customer buy, oh, they bought 20 things over, you know, versus, 20 they bought 20 at one, on one yeah. order versus. 20 in the same. So it's one orders. of these things, they just see Are the they data. they customers or, yeah. Yeah. So they just see the customer 20 times. Oh, they made 20 different purchases. No, no, they actually made. Yeah. On that one day, they purchased twenty items. And in a retail, in a retail or an online outlet, that can be that's an important. Or there's a big difference between yeah, did they purchase twenty at once or 20, mm. 20 different purchases? But what I'm saying, if you don't look yeah. deeper into what's going on, so I'm just saying that's the one thing we're really starting to see is that people just go to the high level, sophisticated programming. I know models, how to do all this smart stuff, but not. I don't actually know what I'm doing with, what I'm doing it with. Yeah, it's, it's not even like, let's say you're a roofer and you put the best roof on the house, but if the foundation is sand, the yeah. whole house is going to fall, including your beautiful roof. You so, know? so what makes a good data person is is um, an ability to ask the question about where this came from, the ability well, to... Well, holistically looking at every... Yeah, just history look, of it? Well, what this is what's interesting with all the sophisticated algorithms that have been coming out so being an old man of the data mining yeah. era uh, these out and I actually worked with two of the authors of the, the major algorithms that are out there the boosted trees and the decision trees and cart and cart um, really what we're using now are just variants of algorithms that some of them were written in as early as 1984 right 
I, I mean, most, I think boosted trees, which is like still being used as like the number one technique. I don't know if you've heard of Kaggle and stuff like that. It's a, it's a data science competition. They probably, yeah. but anyway, but uh, so boosted trees, I think Jerry wrote that in 2001, I'm just, now I'm racking mm. my Alzheimer's brain here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 so I, I think about- uh, By the way, he's not that old. <laughs> no, I am. He just I pretends am. to be. I am, I got, I got gray here. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I so- I thought he died at that time. <laughs> yeah, to give me a more sophisticated yeah. look. Uh, but yeah, 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 so I think Jerry already wrote that back in 2000. Because we were using it in 2003, 2004. So, I mean, the, yeah. what's considered cutting edge, it's actually almost a 20-year-old algorithm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, that's what I'm getting at. So, long story is that the techniques you're using, you don't need to have the fancy techniques. It's really more about the preparation and understanding the data. Because now everything's so automated. Once you have the data set up in the correct form, you just basically hit a button, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Done. So what I'm saying, I would err more on the side of understanding the data than understanding the, understanding understanding the algorithms because yeah. that's really the modeling, we call the modeling step, that's the last step, but that's, of, of all the time you should spend in a, in a project, it's the least probably 10% or less, yeah. yeah. So I, I think that what I'm getting at is like prepping the data, getting it correct. So lots of people are often, so you're like the 12th or 13th person I've interviewed and and asked this question of, and there seems to be a thread which which is kind of implicit in what you're saying, which is essentially they need to be a little bit curious. They need to understand the context. They have to find out hmm. what's going on that it isn't just the numbers. Yeah, you've right. got to know how it works. Hmm. But if you don't have the foundation right, right. you're not checking to see if the foundation's right. Right. Like, you know, you're putting the roof on without looking at the house. Right. That's kind of dumb. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So is, is that kind of what you're saying? Is curiosity um, you know, an element to that? Well, and that's the whole thing. But that's with any profession, be it a doctor, be it an actor, be it, mm -hmm. you know, is it a calling or a job? Yeah. I mean, really, do you really dig numbers? Do you read yeah. books about numbers and stuff? You know, I mean, I know people that are chess people that yeah. they read chess move books all day. I mean, they're really, it's like a calling. They're drawn. Yes. So I, I say with the curiosity, it's just more like it or not. And I mean, I suffer some of this to a, to a small extent is that you're doing a lot of stuff. It's just a job. You really yeah. don't, in the old days, it was a calling. You're being a, be, you know, you're like, I, I don't know. I want to be a, what was I trying to think like a, a carpenter. Some people like making really nice yeah. furniture and, and there's I, a beauty and there's a love in in the doing yeah. of that thing. And I, now that I don't know. I mean, is that going up or down in society? I'm not sure. I, I'm just saying. No, but I, I know hope it's going up. I yeah. I don't know. I'm just saying. I, I see a lot around that. Like yeah, it's a nine. It, it it's puts a, food on the table. It's a job. Yeah. yeah it's a, well, like I say, a lot of people that are good people, smart. They're not bad. Nobody. Yeah. Because I, I said I suffer from this a wee bit. But yeah, I don't think anyone's a bad person. But what a careerist versus. You know, like I say, a lot of people were, hey, I want to be a doctor because I want to help. I, I really, you know, they always say that in job interviews. I want to help people, but they really do. Yeah. Versus other people like, hey, it gives me prestige. It gives yeah, me money. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's no different than in, in, yeah. in data mining, data science. Yeah. You know, are you really into like, ooh, doing cool model? And there are people out there. Yeah. I, I once a week go to industry meetings or 
clients or something. And then, so there truly are people who are into this. They're really yeah, yeah. into Yeah, and they this. love what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. But it's, they're the minority. Yeah. I'd say I've, I've met very few people. So the curiosity, I think that comes naturally if you're mm. really into something. Mm. You're, just, you're just reading up in your off time, just what can I do with this? And mm. So, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, because I, I was interviewing, I think I just put up Chris Carr's podcast and he works in financial services, been doing this for, um, I've known him 15 mm-hmm. years or something. Uh, and he's been doing it for a while and he talked about, um, damn it, my brain is doing that thing. He talked about that was relative to this. Oh, people have to be sticky beaks. Mm-hmm. You have to have a little bit of a sticky beak about you. Well, well one thing to, to that point is what I try to do is I, I, I try to, you know, I told you with the Pomodoro technique, mm-hmm. you would help. I do what I call one hour primary research. Okay. So where I'm actually just reading books on just, you know, you know making sure my matrix algebra and everything's up to date and yeah. reading new techniques. Well, it wasn't academically naturally kind of reading yeah, articles. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, but I try to take one hour where it's just... What's the latest? Yep. What's happening? Keep yourself up to and, and also, even at my age and experience, uh, using Coursera, edX mm-hmm. to upskill. Yeah, yeah. And there was an interesting that uh, Daphne, she's the one who was one of the co-founders from um, from Coursera, and a lot of people were worried, especially academics, that oh, it's gonna uh, take cannibalize, you know, take students away from mm-hmm. the universities. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it turns out the majority of users of Coursera have a postgraduate degree already. Right, yeah, because they so just they very, want to know more. There's very, the, I think it was like 20, 25% that actually mm. are doing it in, in lieu of a, of a In lieu of a degree. degree, yeah, but in fact the it's actually... The majority are people that are upskilling. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, nothing wrong with that. There's, yeah, yeah. there's always upskilling. So, that's, that's, I try to do that, but once again... If you're working, uh, put yeah. food on the table. Like you say, an hour a week. It's real. Well, no, no, I try an hour a day. An hour a day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. An hour a week would be oh. like something. But, I mean, but also for insanity because you're actually doing something. It's like reading a new novel or yeah. something. It's kind of, it's, yeah. self, it's enjoyment for yourself. I mean, now, do you listen to podcasts? Are you a podcast person? Yeah. What, what podcasts are taking your attention right now? Um, yeah. Well, I do the ABC, the business, but they do that two-minute business report. Oh, okay. That's a nice one. That's, That's useful. I always like that one because it's quick, down and dirty. Um, let me see. What other questions do I have to ask you? Um, but are there ones you would know that were, were – which ones are you listening to? That uh, I'm – at the moment, I'm stuck in some entertainment podcasts about um, shows that I love. So I love The Good Place and I'm listening to The Good Place – uh, okay. Podcast. I love West Wing, and I've been listening to the West Wing podcast. The West? You mean like from As, the show? Yeah, from twenty years ago. Yeah, really? there's now a West Wing podcast where they go every week. They do. They do the show. Show. I've just caught up. It's taken me taken me months to catch up to be, and now I'm like every week I'm waiting for the next one so I can watch. So it again. like a radio show from like the 1930s. Yeah. yeah. So they're they bring in guests. They bring in guests. But they people read the parts. They do it. Oh like, no 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 no! They talk about the show. So they see the show, oh, and then they go. Oh. So we had this scene where CJ Dickinson, oh, and, you know, Richard Shift did that. And, oh, it's like when people discuss what they uh, Game of Thrones. Exactly. It's yeah, like yeah, that. where they yeah. talk about it after. And, and they add to it though the the political context. So you know, this was a show about the census, and they were talking about they had these points to make oh. on the census. Let's bring someone in. What's changed? It's twenty years. What's okay. changed with? Is this on NPR in the US or was? Ah, uh, it's on Radiotopia. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's I enjoy it, but I, I enjoy it because it's funny. Yeah. It's informative. Um, and I just love West Wing. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I listen to more things. I, I listen to Adam Grant. I listen to Seth Godin. I listen to, um, like, people who talk about business in general or yeah. especially about the interrelations of humans in the workplace because that's what I do. I help people, people be more human in the workplace. So, you know, um, Adam Grant had one last week I just listened to about uh, how do you... Uh, if you want to change, you need to have mavericks. You need to have, you know, someone who's not quite fitting in. And he, he took the example of Pixar when mm. Pixar did several good, um, several good sh- uh, shows. And then I'm like, we need to break the mold. And they brought in Brad Bird, who didn't really fit the mold. Who'd been fired from Disney. He yeah. Da 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 da. And he assembled a team of mavericks. And it was all about, you know. If someone yeah. tells me I can't do something, yeah. I'm going to bloody do it. Um, and did it work? Did it, yeah, well, that was The Incredibles. Oh, that was The Incredibles. And The Incredibles went, you know, through the roof. Okay. But, yeah, it's essentially that you've got to, if you want to do something differently, you have to do something differently, and that doesn't mean keeping the people you've got. Well, one, one of the things that I do teach this to my students is, and you talk about humans mm-hmm. in the workplace, is I observed a lot of things from working in industry for 12 years. Yes. So it's just like, hmm. So I remember one of the things I was trying to say, like, Who's the person to be more, because there's always politics and all yeah, this in the totally. But I was like, who to be scared of? It, you know, who's the person <laughs> to be most worried about? Yeah. It's the person who has the most to lose if they lose their job. Yeah. For instance, we had one Absolutely. guy who was a VP. I don't even think he finished high school, but he was politically very crafty. And I would see him sell out loyal people that had worked for him for 10 years. He would, to save his buck for the CEO, he would sell them out in two yeah, seconds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The kiss up, kick down. And so, because if he lost his, if you're making like 150, 200, you know, at the time, who knows now, in today's dollars, you can't, and you have a high school degree, if you lose that job and you're 50 years old, you're going to be making 60, you know. So yeah, you really if you're do, lucky, you'll find You have to do whatever you can. So I just exactly. learned it because then there were other people who were like, really highly skilled, had one guy had like a master's degree, you know, an engineering from Cornell, like very, and so people give him guff, he's like, fine, I don't care, you know, I mean, because he, he knew he'd get hired the next. Do you think it's about something about how their self-esteem is wrapped up in the job as well? So it's not just the financial thing, but also the, who would I be if I didn't have this job? But that's, but that's, well, this particular person, maybe that was, they're saying a bit too much that they're that they're that self aware. <laughs> well, I don't think they'd be conscious of it. Yeah. Well, exactly. But I think a lot of it is you develop. I mean, me personally, what I've seen this is anecdotal yeah. is that they have a lifestyle. So you got the Mercedes, yeah. the five bedroom house in the North Shore. You know, you have all this. Yeah. You the money's got to keep coming in. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, you got the jet ski. So I, what I know is a lot of people. I don't think there was that. Like, what about my status as a person? I don't think. Oh, I don't think they in any way oh, conscious. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, oh yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. But but yeah. yeah, they. I think it was more that they had this lifestyle that the yeah. money. They need to do whatever to keep the the money coming in to yeah, sustain this totally. lifestyle. But like I said, I saw other people who. It's a flip side of that. Who was like, you know, I don't. I don't, you know, if I, I know that if you fire me, I, I'll find another job in a day. Yeah. But this, and this goes to the Mavericks. And we had a great, and I teach my students this, we had this total Maverick salesperson. This guy, but he was bringing in just himself 20 million in sales. Just, nice. 
I just yeah. one guy. I just like a percentage of that. <laughs> but the dude literally was like the old school on the golf course. That's what he did. He was, yeah. and he was basically a scratch golfer. I yeah. think <laughs> he could actually have gone pro. Because he spent so much bloody time on the golf course. the clients on, on the golf course. So, I mean, he would come in, if he came into the office, he'd come in like 10 or 11, leave at noon. But so they got a new per, a new VP, you know, he reported some new person and this, uh, they actually tried to rein him in. Uh-uh. Like you need to be here at eight o'clock and you need to treat your staff. And he was kind of rude, but I don't know if he violated any HR rules, but he, he was kind of rude. Yeah. Not the pleasant, most pleasant, you know, but anyway, so you have to be nice to your, your EA, your PA, whatever, and come in at a time, and he's like, you know, no way. Yeah, I'm out of here. So they kept trying to rein him in, he finally, I quit, and the, the, the competitor hired him. Within yeah, of course a week. they did, yeah. And I'm like, wow, I mean, you know, so that goes to like, you're your people, yeah. how do you, so in retrospect, once again, I was just an independent, I was just a yeah, young yeah. person at this point seeing this at a distance like do you if somebody's a maverick like that and they but they bring in the cash yeah. do you kind of give them some leeway yeah. or do you construct a system that allows them to be who they are and not give them people to manage that's the other thing but, that's not, but you have to have somebody set your appointments I think that was a problem right okay. and they as long as you yell people reporting to him <laughs> but it was but I mean it does raise from a business perspective that if you're trying to make profit and stay you know, if you're not selling your product, you're going to go out of business. And this yeah. guy was selling product like crazy. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, exactly. Do yeah. you tolerate a wee bit of, uh, or do you give a PA answer. that could a PA that could roll with the punches and pay that PA a yeah, little bit extra? That's not part of the thing too. I mean, are you setting that person up to succeed, or are you basically trying to get them to back into your mold? But that's yeah. you know, hey, that's a cultural thing. I mean, there are organisations that have no dickhead rules, mm. but if you've been there already twenty years. It's, Kind of like, well, I'm sorry, you haven't got a no dickhead rule. Oh, you're saying yeah, no dickheads win, you know. Yeah, but if you recruit this... someone, they're a dickhead. That's a different question. To we've had these dickheads, and we're about to change to no dickheads because you know that's hard. Well, and the other thing too is some of these dickheads bring in the cash. Yeah, you know, absolutely. and I mean, I, I haven't seen this. I haven't seen this here. But I saw in the U.S. where in the academia where there were some not pleasant folks, but they brought in the money. Yeah, and so absolutely. you kind of maybe look the other way. Yeah, not so much. It's nothing illegal or nothing me too. No, 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 type thing. Just, nothing, but just no, more kind of rough, yeah. kind of gruff, and yeah, yeah, exactly. But if they're bringing in the cash and your company needs money to stay afloat, like I say, I'm not. I'm just. just saying this is what happens. I've just yeah. seen what I've seen, and I'm just throwing this out there. Like, what do you do? Is an open-ended question, and I do that with yeah. my students. I go, "What do you do?" Yeah, yeah. The Socratic method. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's no right or wrong. No. It's just what do you do? And, it's, and essentially, you're creating a culture by saying yes or no. I mean, that's what the Maverick thing's about. It's about breaking the culture and starting a new culture. Right. Um, uh, I've got lots of clients at the moment who are going through you know, major change and restructures and blah, blah, blah. I was like, you will not get... Uh, Marshall Goldsmith said, what, he had a book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Mm, so if you true. need to do something different, then you need to think about it differently. But, yeah, you don't, don't find a $20 million sales guy. It, exactly. Just That's <laughs> what I mean. Like, I mean, I think most of us realise there had to have been a better... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Way rather than take this maverick into a cookie cutter mold. Totally. And like I say, I think the easiest of it, if your PA is making, you know, 15 bucks an hour, throw him or her 
25 an hour and realize, hey, it's going to be a... a or, good, as you said, fun, double your fun money. a peer who won't be bullied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or might even, for fun, give it give it back to him a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But I'm just saying double the money. For yeah, the, 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 you know. exactly. Um, we've, we've run out of time. Oh, sorry. Okay. Oh, that's okay. Um, is there anything you want to say in conclusion? We didn't get through all the questions because, you know. Well, I don't even know what questions. We can come back another time. Do we have any do questions? If you want. Oh. Any questions you didn't want, we, you specifically wanted to treat, anything you wanted to say? Um, no, I think we pretty much hit on What's everything. your favourite charity, Inka? Um, here, you, here I pretty much just do, like, Red Cross and at the symphony they have... Um, where they give money for kids mm-hmm. to, to help get them instruments nice. and stuff like that. But but in the U.S. there was one called Mama's Kitchen, yeah, which was delivering meals for AIDS and HIV positive okay. people that are basically pensioners can't yeah. get out. And, and I was thinking about that when I saw that question about oh the charity. The reason I donated to Mama's Kitchen is that they had this scandal in the U.S. There was a thing called United Way. There was mm-hmm. and they got busted where for every dollar you contributed. 20 I don't know what it was for United Way so yeah. don't sue me here but uh, it was something like for every dollar you contributed maybe 20 cents actually, actually got, got, through. To, yeah. got through because of all the people driving their Mercedes yeah. and, uh, so I remember Mom's Kitchen the reason I don't I, well, I mean it's a good call there's a million good everything's causes. a good cause yeah yeah exactly and it's just like but it was like something like crazy like 92 or 93 cents on the dollar actually got to that got person. Through. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that was, I remember, yeah, when I, I read about that, I'm like, that's, A, it's a good charity, you know, helping people that are shut-ins with HIV and, and, and AIDS and so, and then, but it actually got a, quite a high percentage. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm always wary of charities, and you just saw the Oxfam had some mm-hmm. issues recently. Um, so and the just, charity mugger stuff and the, you know. I, but they don't, I think they did, after that, there, it, was, it was a united way. They had a huge scandal in the U.S. like 20, 30 years ago, and I think they, they now, a lot of the charities will report. I don't know if they do that. They have too. to report now. Yeah. Well, they there's do report for every a, dollar. There's a web page that tracks it all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it was really, like I said, it was, some of them were just horrendous. Mm. It was something like 12 cents for every dollar you, yeah. you contributed. It's kind of like, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Now, I guess, and I guess what it goes to also is like, some people maybe they donate for a tax runoff. Yes. So, I, yeah, I never looked at it like, oh, I don't care if they're spending. But for me, it's like, no, I no, mean, I'd yeah, like it's a tax right, but it was also, yeah. if you want to have that feel-good factor of helping people, you actually want to be helping. <laughs> yeah. the, you know, so, exactly. so I know some people, maybe they don't care. Like, oh, 12 cents, I don't care. I just write it off on no. the taxes. Yeah. But, like I said, but if you wanted to do good, you'd rather give the dollar to $20 to the guy on the corner who actually doesn't have a bed for the night. Because well, you know, you know directly. that will go yeah. directly to yeah. the shelter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and what was it? Somebody here, uh, we had a woman that the uni, she used to work at like Wesley Mission. I think they were pretty good, she was mm-hmm. saying there. They had a pretty good, like the for every dollar, yeah. they had very little, they, oh, they tried to get, and, then, and I think that's the same with their mama's kitchen. They, they, people, like the people that would drive donated their car, the people... Some of the food was donated by. Yeah, like, it was a group effort. It's not just so it helped really get the yeah the overhead down. Yeah. So I think Wesley she's saying was pretty good as well. Cool. But it, oh, okay. I'll find good. the webpage. I'll link to it on the show notes so that we can. Yeah, no, 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 that's because um, yeah, they're, they're, they, there's a year they track it every year. Um, or there's yeah, in general that I does try it. to yeah I try to um, like I say look for one that really. Yeah, that uses the money effectively because we want to live in an effective society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you, Ingo. It has been wonderful to catch up on all the excitement. Um, I'm going to stop the podcast now.
This is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the consultant's consultant, and you've been listening to Smarter Data People. This is part of what I do to understand how it is that data scientists can be more effective in the workplace, smarter, faster, and nicer. And if you have a team and you're finding them harder to manage than they could be, if you're constantly trying to squeeze more out of your budget and out of their time, and if you've got stakeholders or they've got stakeholders who are less than happy sometimes, maybe a lot more than sometimes, it can be really annoying and it can make you feel incompetent. I can help you help them get to the important problems faster, target the wasted time and save you time and money, and ultimately delight stakeholders so that you can feel competent again. It's such a good feeling. Talk to me.